0: Would you mind standing with me in honor of God's Word? We are in a series called Precious Faith from the book of 1 Peter, and we are up to chapter 2, verse 11. Here we go. Precious Faith. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans... That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your, your word. Lord, I feel like this topic today is so intense that it's really important that I'm hidden behind your cross today. We need to see Jesus. We need to hear Jesus. We need wisdom that is from Jesus. And I just pray for a tremendous freedom in this place to not be bothered or bugged by me, but to be able to hear what God is saying to the church, what God's saying to me individually. Well, these are difficult times to navigate. So help me speak clearly, help me to speak boldly, and Lord, help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church at this incredibly important time, we pray, in Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message is Precious Faith, Civil Government. So in the two verses before this, which we did last week, Peter says, We are a holy nation before God. This to, un- to understand this is to be able to understand and grasp the whole book. The whole book is written to exiles and strangers, not geographical, because they're they're living right where they grew up, but because of their uh, experience with Jesus, because they have become part of the kingdom of God, because they've been born again to a living hope, they are now a part of a new nation. Heaven's nation. It's a new culture. They are now living on earth as exiles or foreigners. This isn't where you're from. Your citizenship is now in heaven. And that's how you need to think to understand your time here. To understand the brevity of your time here. You are not home yet. We are not there yet. We are living as exiles as foreigners down here it's the only way to process it jesus said it said this to Pilate. he said my kingdom is not of this world if it were my servants would fight to present my uh, to prevent my arrest by the jewish leaders but now my kingdom is from another place and because you and i are in christ we're from a kingdom that's from another place. How does that apply? Why why is that so important? Here's why. If you're fighting people today, you're in the wrong battle. <laughs> That, 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 that's, that's not who we're fighting against. If your enemy is, are Democrats or your enemies are Republicans, you, you're in the wrong battle. And, and if you're in the wrong battle, you, you're not going to win. We are battling spiritual darkness. We, everybody on every side of the fence, God loves, Jesus died for, and we need to fight for them, not against them. However, even though we're not from here, we are living here. We are living in time. We are living under a government. And Peter says this is a very important part of your testimony. You need to honor the government that you're living in. You need to honor, in their day it was an emperor, in our day it's a president. You need to honor those that are ruling in civil authority. You need to have a right heart towards them because it's part of your testimony. So we're going to talk for just a moment. This is point one. Our response to civil government. Three responses to civil government. One... Honor them always. For the Lord's sake, he says, subject yourself to civil authorities. What what does this mean? It simply means this. Civil authority was not something made up by man. Man didn't decide, we're going to put people over you. God decided it. Paul, Paul says all, all authority has been instituted by God. And if you're resisting authority, you're resisting God. This has been set up by God. This is the system. Man didn't think of this. God thought of it. And he put it in place. And so to honor authority is one way we honor God. Jesus honored Punches Pilate's position. Pilate says, because Jesus wasn't talking to him, and he says, you need to talk to me. I've got authority to release you or to have you killed, and here's what Jesus says to Pilate. This is uh, in John chapter 19. He says, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Pilate You are operating in a place that was given to you by God. And I recognize that, and I honor that position. Honor civil government always. Secondly, pray for them always. Here's 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. I love this passage and here's why. It kind of gives the whole plan of God in one little passage. We are to pray for civil government. So that we can live in peace. Paul says it this way, Romans 13. God put the sword in the hand of civil government. They they have been instructed by God to punish evil and to restrain evil in the world. Why Why do we even need civil government? Because some people don't obey God and they don't obey their consciences. And so all civil government is, is a restraint. But you can't get out of civil government what God hasn't put into it. Civil government is not God's answer for the world. Jesus is God's answer for the world. Redemption is God's answer for the world. So civil government simply makes a place where the gospel can be preached. And that's why I love this passage, because it's, it's, it's tied to for God wants everybody to be saved, that, God, that it's God's will for all people to be saved. So civil government needs to just restrain evil, but listen, civil government cannot solve evil, that the problem is in the human harm. Only the gospel can solve evil. Only the gospel can remove evil. Only Jesus can actually remove evil. The most civil government can do is make a place that restrains evil, allows some sort of peace, and gives religious freedom. That is God's plan for civil government. So pray for them. Pray that they'll do their job. Pray that they won't try to do more than their job. Then we have the second passage. Guys, this passage is so powerful when you connect it to 1 Peter. But to to get to, before I read the passage, it's in Jeremiah 29. I want to give you the context of what's happening. God's people are no longer in their land. They have been, they've gone into captivity into Babylon so they are living as exiles they are not at their home they're in they're living in a foreign land and they're only there for a brief period of time do you see how this perfectly pictures our situation on planet earth right now and here's here's what god speaks to them his exiles that are still living in babylon this is what The Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters. And it's really important that we have in our mind how God views America. God does not view America as the new Israel. He does not view America as his chosen people, okay? The church is the new Israel. The church is God's chosen people. America is one more expression of Babylon, okay? It's really important because if you think America's Israel, you're going to go very, very dark because we, we're going to be judged because God wants Israel to do this and God wants Israel to do that and we're disobeying God. Listen, God doesn't expect much from Babylon. What God, Who God expects stuff from is his own people that are living there. We're God's chosen people and we are living in Babylon, America is one more expression of Babylon. So, what are the instructions to those living in Babylon? Seek its peace. Seek its prosperity. Pray for it. If it prospers, you will prosper. Be good citizens of where you're living. And of course, living in America in a democracy is very different than living in Babylon under a really tyranny. We've got rights and we've got... But the point is this. Live there. Dwell there. Marry there. Build there. And pray for that place. Seek its peace. Because if it prospers, you will prosper. So what happens in America does affect us, doesn't it? We are cheering for America, not against America. We are, God's not calling us to be against our government. We are actually part of the answer. We should be the best citizens of this country. We should be model citizens. In fact, people should be drawn to Christ because of, they look at how we engage with all of the difficulties and problems. Pray, honor always, pray always, and pray for our leader. Jeremiah 25.9, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord. That's Jeremiah 25.9. Now this point is so important. If you think we're Israel and we are God's chosen people, then for our president, we need either somebody like Billy Graham or we need somebody like Mother Teresa. But if we're Babylon, then someone like Nebuchadnezzar will do just fine. And you say, God, how how can you possibly say that Nebuchadnezzar is your servant? He's not Jewish. When we get introduced to Nebuchadnezzar, we find out that he trusts no one except for himself. That he's, he's an ungodly man. So how can God, how dare God say, that is my servant, Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to use my servant, Nebuchadnezzar. How dare he say that? What is God saying to all of us? Here's what he's saying. I transcend civil government. Nebuchadnezzar will do. I can use him. I've got a bigger purpose that's bigger than who you think and who, uh, who, who people think because I have got a purpose and I can use people that are ungodly. I can use people that don't even know me yet. And if you read the story of Nebuchadnezzar, oh my, it's an amazing story of the mercy of God. In chapter two, God gives Nebuchadnezzar a dream that he can't understand. But he is so intent that this is an important dream and he needs to know the meaning meaning of it that he won't give his wise men what the dream is. The only way I'll know that you've got the right interpretation is if you can tell me what the dream is. And so, of course, none of them can and they're all upset. They're all going to be killed. And Daniel says, um, you know what? there's a God in heaven and he'll tell, you, he'll, he'll tell me what your dream was and what the meaning is. So that's what happens. God reveals himself miraculously to this king. And, uh, and he, it, it is his response to that? He promotes Daniel and his three friends in the government of Babylon. However, he rejects the meaning of the dream. Because the meaning of the dream was this. "O oh, King Nebuchadnezzar. You're not in charge, God is. You're actually one ruler, but there's another one coming after you, and another one after you, and another one after you. And get your eyes on God. The, your, your empire's not going to last. God is in charge, not you. His rule is what's going to last. And Nebuchadnezzar rejects the message. He's the, he's the head of gold that's going to be passed over for the the, uh, uh, the shoulders of silver. And But he rejects the message. In the next chapter, he builds a 90-foot golden statue... To his own greatness. And everybody's got to bow down and worship him. You talk about a guy that was filled with himself. But here's the beauty of God. God doesn't stop there. God meets him again. God takes him through another test. And at the end of his life. He writes looking back. And in in Daniel chapter 4, you can read it yourself, in 36 and 37, he says, now I declare God is the ruler over all. His is the only kingdom that endures. And he says this, I love this in verse 37. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Isn't that beautiful? He is able to humble those who walk in pride. God is able. So here's my encouragement to you. In this coming November, um, you're going to vote either for President Trump or you're going to vote for former Vice President Joe Biden. So here's my advice to you. If the person you vote for gets in, pray for him. And if the person that you didn't vote for gets in, pray even harder. Because God's bigger than who's in that office. That was great. I just love it. We have two people (laughs) that aren't sure whether or not this is a point to clap over. And and it's all good. It's all good, guys. We're good. We're good. All right. Um, Okay. Always honor them. Always pray for them. Here's point three. Sometimes disobey them. Acts chapter four. Verses 18 through 20. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at that at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They are brought Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin, which is under the Roman rule. They're the local rulers, and they have, they, somebody got healed, and, and they're upset about it. The, the rulers are, so they bring Peter and John in, and they say, um, you guys can't speak anymore in the name of Jesus. Well, the problem is, is they've been given a command by Jesus himself, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And with honor in their hearts, they say, you, you guys decide, you do, with, do to us what you need to do, but we cannot stop. We have to obey God rather than you. When civil government gives you an order that contradicts God's will, you have a responsibility to that civil government to disobey it with honor in your heart. Whatever the consequences. And so that's, that's what they did. So they sent them out. They said, don't preach anymore in Jesus' name. So the disciples went out. And they told them up front, we're going to keep preaching. And sure enough, they did. And there were more miracles. And there was more jealousy. And they got brought back in. And then they got sent into prison. And frankly, they would have been killed then. Except Gamaliel rises up. One of the Jewish leaders in the Sanhedrin. And he says, listen. This, if this thing isn't of God, it's going to fade on its own. And if it is of God, then you're going to be found to be fighting God. Do you really want to be in that place? Now, to give you the whole story, so Paul says, Romans 13, honor authority, be under authority. Peter says here, honor the emperor. Here's just so you know where it can go. Both Peter and Paul were executed by civil authority. Both died under Nero. Paul was beheaded. Peter was uh, crucified upside down at his own request. But they both died and and took the punishment for civil disobedience. There's another example, though, that I want to point to because of Daniel. Because Daniel, Daniel's kind of my man because he's living in Babylon and how how do you navigate God and Babylon? So here we go, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. So a couple of the leaders in Babylon got the king stirred up, actually to attack Daniel, and had to make this law that no one can pray to any other God rather than you, Darius. And it says in our text Daniel knew exactly what the law was. But it was an unjust law. It was was a wrong law. Daniel could have gotten around it. He could have just prayed in his heart. He could have figured out another way to pray. But he refused to. He is in civil disobedience. And he does it exactly how he always did it. Three times a day. On his knees. Window open to Jerusalem. Clearly praying to a God other than Darius. And Darius finds out about it. Of course, they're the the, those leaders that wanted to get Daniel in trouble are the ones that pointed out and Daniel has to be thrown into the lion's den because you can't change Persian law. And here's where I want to point this out. Peter says this, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. We can use the idea of civil obedience To justify our own rebellion, our own bad attitude. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna rebel because I want to, because the government, I hate our government, da, 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 da. Listen, Daniel had a great attitude. How do we know that? (laughs) Because Darius, after he sends him into the lion's den, he fasts for him all night. He's the first one in the morning and he cries out to Daniel Daniel, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to deliver you from the lion's den? the mouth of the lions and Daniel said, "O king, live forever. You know that I did no evil in your sight, and God sent an angel and he protected me." Do you know what the result of Daniel's civil obedience was? You read the end of Daniel chapter 6. Darius changed law. <laughs> he changed the law to allow religious freedom. He he changed the law said so nobody can speak against Daniel's God. Civil. Sometimes we are called in a way that honors authority to civil disobedience. All right, point two, America at its founding. America is not Israel, but its government exists for God's purpose. And it is a unique government because it is founded for the purpose of religious freedom. A historian and author who is both a Jew and an agnostic writes this. By 1776, the colonists had come to a revolutionary conclusion. These experiments in colonial government had persuaded them that theocratic government was not only a bad idea, but an unchristian idea as well. A theocracy was invariably oppressive because it allowed no dissent, no room for dissent, no freedom of conscience for the individual. So what does all that mean? Real quick. A theocracy is when the government tells you what God is saying. The, the, the government establishes the religion. And when they first came over, they tried this. They tried the, the colony leader and said, we're going to follow God, we're all going to follow God, and here's how we're going to do it. And then they would end up having to kill people because some people didn't do it that way and some people didn't think God wanted them to do it that way. This is The, the Salem witch trials happened because of this. And and all these people that were suspected of being witches got killed, and and it was a disaster. And so the Founding Fathers recognized, guys, the government cannot establish a religion. This is why we came to America. The Catholic Church was killing everybody, and then the Church of England was killing everybody. It doesn't work to marry religion and government. We need to have a government that allows Religious dissent allows religious freedom, and so that's what they made it from the beginning. They 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 built our government on two truths that came from the Protestant Reformation. Two truths that were won by those who stood up for the gospel in the Protestant Reformation. Here are the two truths that our country is built on, or our Constitution is built on. Number one. Justification by faith. What do I mean by that? The founding fathers said, man is sinful and flawed without the grace of God. Therefore, he's not to be trusted. (laughs) And they built our government on not trusting people. That's why there's called the division of powers. That's why there's a judicial branch, and there's the executive branch, And there's the legislative branch. And it's really inefficient to try to get something done. We just want to get something done. But it's really inefficient because we've got these three branches and they all work together. Now listen, if you ever feel frustrated by inefficiency in our government, here's what I want you to know. It was set up for inefficiency. It was supposed to be inefficient. They believed that that absolute power will absolute corruptly. James Madison, who's the primary author of the Constitution, said this, if men were angels, we wouldn't need government. Men are no angels. We don't trust them. <laughs> and we, we don't trust ourselves. So we're going to divide the powers. We're going to separate them. Gonna, there's going to be an inefficient process to get through it. The second truth of, 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 that our nation is founded on is the priesthood of all believers. The founding fathers believe this. There's no mediator between God, a human being, and God alone decides who's saved. The church doesn't decide. There's no institution that decides who's saved. Only God decides who's saved. Everybody is equal in God's sight. And therefore, that they wrote this right in the Declaration of Independence that we maintain. That there are certain inalienable rights that have been given to mankind from their creator. Guys, this was a new idea in government. The idea that rights came from God, not government. And therefore, no government could take them away. Whatever government does, they can't take away these rights. All, all are created equal my God, this is about the priesthood of all believers. There is no mediator. The government is not going to make a religion that says this is how you get right with God. You guys all do it however you want to. All of you have access because everybody has been created equal. You say, well, Pastor Tom, everybody wasn't equal. They still own slaves. Yeah, but let me tell you something. It's because of our constitution that the Civil War was fought. It didn't start that way. It started to preserve the Union, but about halfway through, Abraham Lincoln said this is is the entire issue. You read his second inaugural address, and you can read it because it's on the Lincoln Memorial. (laughs) And you're like, is this a president talking? This doesn't sound like a political speech. This sounds like a sermon. They're in the middle of the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln has just been voted back in. And he stands up, and he basically says this, Slavery is an offense to God. And God is righteous in all of his judgments. And we need to pray, both north and south, we need to pray for mercy, lest God exact blood for every single person that we have made a slave. That's the the second inaugural address. It's all based on God created everybody equal. And when we take that away, God's going to have an issue with us. So the First Amendment in our Constitution says government's not going to make a religion. And then it goes on to say, but it will not hinder religious freedom. That, That we get to express whatever religion we are. We welcome religious dissent. One philosopher said this, I disapprove of what you say, but I'll defend to my death your right to say it. And of course, we've had people dying throughout America's history for this right, for our freedom. Guys, the idea that we would take Bibles out of our schools, that we would take prayer out of our schools, that it would be illegal for kids to pray in the lunchroom and talk to each other about God, that idea would be shocking and perplexing to our founding fathers. The whole thing's founded on God. Without God, there is no America. So, so the idea that we're going to distance ourselves, or the, it's, it wasn't freedom from religion, it was freedom for religion. We're just not going to say which religion. You you figure that out. But we want you to talk. It's okay that you have a dissenting view. We will die for your right to dis- to have a dissenting view. If we lose religious freedom, we will lose all of our freedoms eventually. Okay, so let's get to point 3. We're almost done. America today. So we have two parties in our political system that are very deeply divided today, but things have become very, very dark where there has been really open hatred, open uh, slander, and it seems like there's nothing that can't be said or done in the name of our party, and we're doing it right, you're doing it wrong. And, of course, this has divided This has divided our nation. I have heard both of these statements in my presence said with great passion. I can't believe that someone can be both a Republican and a Christian. Here's the second statement I've heard. I can't believe that someone can be both a Democrat and a Christian. Equal passion. What's going on? Well, we've gotten to a place where we're not, we're not listening to each other anymore. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help us a little to try to listen to each other. But I want to warn you up front, if you have a strong identity in one of these two parties, I'm going to need grace from you. Because I'm going to describe your party in a way, in, in generalities... And I'm not going to give everything about your party and you might not think it's fair the way I describe it, but I'm speaking in generalities and I'm just asking for a little grace. First Corinthians 13 says that love believes the best of other people. So I want to I give you the best intent of the Republican Party and I want to give you the best intent of the Democratic Party. And so, what is your job? Your job is to try to listen to whichever, especially to the one that's not you. Try to listen and and at at least try to believe the best of what's in the heart of the other party. Okay, so the best of the Republican Party. Tough love. We don't want to entitle you. We don't want to enable you. We want you to work hard. We want to make a place where you can succeed. And if you succeed, it will because, be because you succeeded. won't be because the government did it for you. We want you to take responsibility for your life. So we're not going to be there to bail you out. It's not government's job to bail you out. You're, you're making choices. And you're going to suffer some consequences of those choices. And we're not going to come and clean up your mess. You're going to have to clean up your own mess. Tough love. Jesus Jesus is for tough love. You know in Revelation 2 and 3, he says seven times to the church that the greatest rewards are going to be for those who Overcome. Not those who are victims, but those who overcome. They overcome sin, they overcome fear, they overcome race, they overcome whatever they have to overcome, whatever obstacle that God, you and God can overcome. And, 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 and there's going to be great rewards for those who overcome. Hebrews talks about the discipline of the Lord. That God doesn't spoil his kids. God's growing them up. David says, Before I suffered, I went astray, but now I obey God's command. And it's not because God's mad at us, it says he disciplines those he delights in. So God and Jesus are for tough love, just like the Republican Party is. What's the best of the Democratic Party? Tender love. Their message is this America has to work for everybody. Not just for the strong, not just for the able, that the Democratic Party says this, we're not on a level playing field. It's different. Just because it works for you doesn't mean it is working for everyone. And so we want to come alongside everyone. We want to come alongside minorities and and the handicapped and the poor. And we we want America to be everybody's America. And of course, Jesus was for tender love. We see in the Gospels, Jesus is for women who were very oppressed in that time. He's for the leper who's, who's on the outside. He's for the foreigner. Jesus takes up the cause of those on the fringes of society. He has tender love, just like the Democratic Party. So can we, just, we, can we just own that the intent, the overall intent of both parties is part of the heart of God? Okay, so let's move on to the solutions they offer. And I'm, I'm thrilled that there's one human being in this room that agrees with me. <laughs> so here's the solutions they offer. Republican solution is this. Overall solution is this. We need less government. The answer to America is less government. So here's what they they might say. We want less government and more deregulation. Help us reduce or even avoid taxes and we promise to give more jobs to the poor. Trust us. Here's what the average American is trying to say to the Republican Party, but Republicans are having trouble hearing this. We don't trust you. That's that's why we have antitrust laws that curb ambition and greed. And frankly, we want laws to make sure you pay your full share of taxes because we want there to be help for the poor and marginalized, and we know mankind's ability to turn a blind eye. Okay? Democrats, what, what Democrats might say, their answer is more government. Here's what they might say. Put us into office and we will put the smartest people in leadership. But we need more of your money so we can pay for more of our programs that will make America work for everyone. Trust us. And here's what the average American is saying back to the Democratic Party. The Democrats have trouble hearing. We don't trust you. Just because you're smart doesn't mean you're moral or wise and we don't want you to tell us how we need to live. But here's the real problem. The real problem is when politics becomes your God. What do I mean by that? When you cease to believe that God is either able or willing to intervene into the affairs of man, then your entire hope is on politics. And poli- Well, you still might go to church, but politics is your God. Politics is the answer in your heart. And here's the slippery slide when politics becomes your your, your, your God. First, it starts like this. We mischaracterize those who disagree with us as haters. I've got the answer. My God has the answer. And if you don't agree with it, then you are a hater. If you don't agree with my opinion, then you're a hater. And this, this makes, makes for an impossible discussion. There is no discussion. You choose. You either agree with me or you are not my friend. And so we can't give a dissenting voice, we can't give a dissenting opinion, because anybody that doesn't agree with me is a hater. And then, step two, therefore, I don't have to listen to them. Which is another way of saying, I can't grow in my opinion. I can't learn from somebody else, somebody that's different than me, because I'm so sure I'm right. And then the next step is this, well, if they hate me, then I can hate them, and it's okay. Because of politics. And not only that, because sometimes my, my God demands slander. I have a right to slander you. I have a right to lie about you. I have a right to deceive. Why? Because any means can be justified to my end. My end is good. My end is the, my party in and they're the answer for America. And so if I have to lie, steal, cheat a little and get my hand, everybody knows that if you're going to win in America, you got to get your hands dirty. Somebody's got to get their hands dirty. Let me tell you something. I'm not saying that you won't win by getting your hands dirty in America, but I am going to say this: you can't win in the kingdom of God. America overall can't win when the way you won was by getting your hands dirty. Here's here's how it works. Very sincere people that want to do good and are trying to do good when they use evil to do good they end up empowering darkness. The very darkness they're trying to remove, when you do it the wrong way, you end up empowering darkness and darkness gets greater. There's a verse for this. It's Psalm 37, 8. It says, do not fret because of evildoers. It only leads to evildoing. If you respond to evildoers in your own flesh, in your own passion, in your own, I'm going to kick back. What's going to happen is darkness is actually going to increase. And I've just described America today. The the enemy's laughing right now at what's happened in this country. So tonight, I've canceled tonight's service and I've set it aside as a time of mourning over America. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourn with those who mourn. And I'm asking everybody to just take some time tonight to reflect on the darkness of America and how we've gotten ourselves into this mess of hatred and slander and accusation. And just take some time to mourn. Just say to God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. We're sorry. Part of what I'm going to do, I'm going to march tonight with our African-American brothers and sisters. We're meeting at the library mall at 530 if you want to be part of it. Um, it's, a, it's put on by different groups that I may not agree with all of their stuff, but I do love them, I value them, and I know that they're hurting, and I want to be part of that. And so every nine minutes, an African-American leader, pastor, is going to pray or say something, and we're going to pause, and we're, we're going to remember the injustices that are in this land, and we're going to mourn over all those that are hurting in this land. But I'm calling us all to, to mourn. Because the real answer for America is not in the White House, it's in God's house. And God's house, interestingly enough, is not this building, God's house is the people. We're, we're God's house. This is what John Adams said. John Adams is one of the founding fathers. He said this right after the Constitution was written. Here's what he said. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to to the government of any other. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up. We're going to have communion together in just a moment. Why did he say that? Because the problem with our Constitution that is of the people, for the people, from the people, 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 is our Constitution will eventually give people what they want. So it really is only going to work for a people that are moral, a, poor, a people that are self-governed, a people that are religious, that have put God in the fear of God in their lives. So the answer for America is a revival in the church. Here's what God says, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, see, everybody thinks America should do something. If if they would do this and if they would do that, listen, God's not looking at the White House right now. He's not looking at the Democrats. He doesn't watch Fox News or CNN. He's, that's not what he's looking at for, to change this nation. I'll tell you where he's looking. He's looking at his church. He says, if my people, if my people will rouse themselves and, and come before me in humility and pray to me and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. See, guys, it's just so easy to say the problem is this or that or out there or these people or those people or those people. Listen, we're never going to get anywhere as long as our fingers are out there. Here's the problem right here. This is the only one I can humble. I can't make everybody else be humble, but I can humble myself. I can pray myself. I can turn from my own wicked ways. I can seek the face of God myself. And I can encourage my brothers and sisters to do the same. Because I honest, with all my heart, I believe this, folks. I'm, so, I'm, I'm very positive in, the, in this hour of darkness. I believe God really is raising up an army in this time. Of people that are they're done fighting the wrong battles. <laughs> and that the church is going to rise up and grab a hold of God. And, 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 and God's going to pour out his presence in response to it. And he's going to heal this land. I believe that with all of my heart. All right, so we're going to have communion together. If you want to get your little kid out, if you have a kid or if you brought something with you, and those of you who are at home, you are glad you stayed home because these things are childproof. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> I, it, I, the first service, I was wrestling with this kid to get out my bread. I'm hoping I'm, it'll be a little better this time. Nope. Nope, just as bad as the first service. All right, here we go. Okay, I've got my bread. Now try to get that, that juice. The trick is to do it without spilling it everywhere. There's something in me that wants to find a woman with long fingernails right now. (laughs) Oh, it doesn't work with long nails even, they said. All right, this is, I guess this is open enough for me. All right, I can get something out of there. All right, communion. So here's what Paul says. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, before you have communion, judge yourself so that you don't take communion in an unworthy way. He says, if you, if you refuse to judge yourself, you're going to be disciplined by God because God loves you and he doesn't want you to be condemned. So he'll have to discipline you. But Paul says, when you have communion, judge yourself. Here's my, here's my advice to you. Don't be soft on yourself. Don't excuse yourself. Don't assume that you are without sin and that you, you've got it together and the problem. Let's, let's be hard on ourselves. God, go ahead and speak. Holy Spirit, go ahead and speak. God's not into false guilt. The idea that God just wants everybody to go around feeling guilty. No, Jesus died for our guilt. God, Jesus wants to remove guilt. But sometimes we really are guilty and we need that guilt removed. And we need to own our sin. We need to agree with God. We need to agree with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to have a prayer for all of us, for the Holy Spirit to come and to, uh, let's just pray it. Lord, come. We are taking time. We are reflecting. A great, great price was paid for our souls. Would you come now, Jesus? Come into our darkness with your light. Lord, we've been, we've been part of the problem, but we, we want to leave this place part of the solution. Lord Jesus, we know when you come at us with a knife in your hand, that that knife is not to kill us, it's to cut the cancer out. You come with gentleness and delicacy, and you know right where the cancer is and how to preserve us and remove what's wrong. Would you come, Jesus? We open our hearts, we open our lives to you. Would you come and cut out the cancer, God? We we want to be your army. We want to be in the right battle. We want to rise up. And frankly, Lord, our country needs us to rise up in this hour and be different. Would you help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. Could we eat the bread together? When the supper was ended, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood the blood of the new covenant, the new agreement that God is making with mankind. And here's what's in the agreement. This is going to be poured out for your sins. Jesus said, take and drink. Let's drink together. mind now standing in the presence of God. We're going to do one more song together before we close. So Father, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us? Would you grant us repentance? Lord, would you pour out your spirit on this city? Would you pour out your spirit on this march this afternoon, God? Lord, different ones, different African-American pastors will be saying things and speaking. Lord, may it all be in the right spirit. May may it be of you, God. Even if you have to make changes in what they were planning on saying, Lord, would, would this be about Jesus? Would this be about coming together? Lord, racism was broken on that cross where you removed the dividing walls that separate us. That victory's already won in heaven. Now, Lord, we're contending that, that it will be on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, that we would come and experience the unity that is only in Jesus. Please, God, come. Let tonight's March be a victory for this city. Let it be a a victory for how to do it. Let it be a victory for this nation that desperately, desperately needs heaven to win right now. Father, thank you for being here today. Thank you for helping us navigate these difficult, difficult times. Send us out as part of your solution, we pray. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, guys. God bless you.